This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, we'll hear a BYU Campus Forum address by Dr. Spencer Magleby, Professor of Mechanical Engineering and Associate Dean of the Ira A. Fulton College of Engineering and Technology, titled Designing Your World. It was given July 15, 2013. I'm pleased to welcome you here this morning for today's forum. Uh, my name is Mike Orm, and President Samuelson has asked me to conduct today's forum. Uh, today, we are delighted to hear from Spencer P. Magleby. Beginning at a tender age with Tinker Toys and then with Legos, Professor Magleby has been involved with the practice, development, and improvement of design engineering for decades. This includes the education of thousands of aspiring engineers. Uh, he is the professor of mechanical engineering and Associate Dean of the Ira A. Fulton College of Engineering and Technology. He came to BYU after working in the aircraft industry, developing tools for advanced aircraft design and manufacture. Dr. Magleby received a PhD in mechanical engineering, focusing on the design of mechanical systems, and has pursued research in design tools and processes, team management, design, education and development, and commercialization of new mechanism technologies. Uh, Dr. Magleby was one of the founders of the nationally recognized capstone design program at BYU, and he has served as the director of that program. He worked with the business school to establish a joint graduate program in product development. Uh, Dr. Magleby has also been recognized for his efforts in design education with awards from the American Society of Engineering and Education and from Boeing. Uh, in his role as associate dean, he has initiated and managed the development of numerous international programs for engineering and technology students and is centered on global aspects of design. During his tenure at BYU, Dr. Magleby has published in a variety of technical and engineering venues, mostly with student co-authors. And he has coached dozens of students, teams that have developed products and technologies of all kinds. In conjunction with these students, he has been awarded 10 patents with others pending. Professor Magleby is married to Stephanie, and Stephanie is an adjunct faculty member in engineering and physics at BYU, and I can only imagine the kind of conversations they have at the dinner table. <laughs> they are, however, the, the proud parents of four children and enjoy their two grandchildren very much. Their youngest child, Austin, is currently a student here at BYU. I appreciate this opportunity to address the university community, a community that I've come to love over many years. I am humbled to be giving a forum at a place where there have been great forums by famous people. You are certainly not getting famous today, and if there is anything great, I attribute it to the great people that I associate with. Many of them will see some of their thinking spread throughout my address today. I especially acknowledge my colleagues in mechanical engineering and the students that have worked with me on projects and research. I have found choosing a forum topic and approach to be daunting as it should be of interest to the entire community. I eventually chose the title of Designing Your World, as it fits with my passion of designing and connected with the world of my audience. With this topic, we will move from our world to my world and back to a very personal view of designing your world. I hope that you enjoy the journey. We live today in an amazingly complex, integrated, and pervasive technological world. It is a world that is simultaneously wonderful and terrifying, a world where we enjoy unprecedented opportunities to pursue our lives and passions. 
but at the same time worry about the future and what it might bring. Look at that. Clarissa, my daughter in the audience, just sent me a good luck message. <laughs> Every time I get a message on my phone, I marvel at how awesome that is. Thank you, Clarissa. Let's think about it. Clarissa and I both own relatively inexpensive phone devices that we could purchase with just a few hours of work. She used hers to create a message that she directed toward my phone by providing a unique identifying number. When she pushed send, her, her phone communicated with the cellular system near our location. Her phone alerted the system that it wanted to make a call to a device associated with my phone number. The phone system found and contacted my phone among all the billions of phones in the world. She could have texted anyone in the world. And my phone alerted me to the text, all within seconds. This device, which is in the hands of almost every BYU student, fits in my pocket and can connect me to entertainment, information, and people around the world. Is this an amazing world or what? This world of ours is full of technology. It surrounds us and helps us. We are completely dependent on it. We love it and it annoys us. I would like to talk today about designing this technological world and finish with designing our own lives. Maybe you saw one of the advertisements for this forum. It is true that I am an engineer. I find that label to evoke interesting reactions from people. Some of you in the audience are likely already getting a little nervous about me as a speaker, perhaps thinking of reaching for that phone we just discussed to play some games so as to fend off the impending boredom. Others may be wondering what in the world an engineer might have to say to the entire campus. I promise it will not be as bad as you think. Just hang with me for a bit. My hope is that there are some of you in the audience that wish you had become engineers, but just couldn't suffer the potential social stigma. <laughs> well, today is your lucky day. You can be an engineer with me for 30 minutes, and no one will need to know. During the time of this forum address, we can be engineering buddies. I'm going to focus in today on a specific kind of engineering, a specialty that borrows from all kinds of engineering areas basic science and management to create products or systems or infrastructure of value to people. I will call the process of using scientific and engineering principles to design or create something useful design engineering. I am then going to call myself a design engineer. This means that my engineering specialty is executing the process of going from needs to ideas to products. We'll want to keep this basic process in mind as we explore it in more detail and discuss how engineers and others can use it effectively. I love to design things, anything. This obsession started early in life with toys. Many thanks to my parents for keeping me supplied with design toys. Maybe they just wanted to keep me occupied. Anyway, tinker toys were my early love and lasted well through grade school. Many of the older members of the audience will recognize them in this image. When Legos came along, I was really in heaven. They provided even more design freedom, and wow, they had wheels and gears. I got my start as a non-toy amateur design engineer in the shop of my parents' basement, fueled by lots of building materials, tools, wires, batteries, and parts from appliances purchased at the Relief Society bazaars. I designed and built my world to meet the needs of the most important person I knew as a teenager, 
me. <laughs> After beginning my undergraduate studies at BYU in engineering, I quickly found a disposition to design. I enjoyed being creative and innovative, and at the same time drawing on science and engineering principles. I wanted to use engineering and science to make the world a better place. After graduation, I have had the chance to help design everything from fighter jets to automated fueling systems for cars, from prosthetics to bike brakes, from manufacturing equipment to weightlifting machines without weights. It has been a great opportunity. But best of all has been my time as a professor working with thousands of students that are learning about engineering design. Teaching students about design has resulted in a heightened awareness of how I think about the world, at least the technological world, and how I expect students to begin to think. In these images, you can see me watching students try out a solar cooker they had designed for people in Peru, and a student in our lab that is looking to origami for inspiration in designing mechanisms. This focus on engineering design and meeting people's needs has all led to a habit, perhaps it borders on a healthy obsession, of seeing the technological world all around us through my designer glasses. <laughs> With these glasses on, the things that catch my eye and capture my attention may seem a bit odd to my non-designer friends. But now that we are all engineering buddies, I hope all of you accepted my invitation, I feel open to sharing some of my insights with you. Perhaps all of you in the audience can expand your views of the world just a bit today and come to see fragments of your world as a design engineer. So put on your designer glasses and let's go exploring. There are three learning experiences I hope to have in our design exploration today, plus a conclusion that brings design into our personal lives. That should make four experiences altogether. First, I hope that you come to appreciate the impact that engineering design and its practice has on your life. Second, I would like to help you understand that engineers use a process to help them design and that this process is not all that hard to understand. Third, let's peer together into the mind of a design engineer to see some specific ways of thinking that are used to help execute this design process. As I said, my first goal is to help you appreciate the impact and pervasiveness of engineering design on you personally. Let's collectively call the aspects of your experiences that are influenced by our technological world, our technology, your technological world. So what is this technological world? One way to define it is to see how it affects us and others. Let's explore two sides to this, aspects that annoy us and things that amaze us. I will share a few, and you should feel free to add your own. It is even okay if you blurt them out to your neighbor. We all love to tell others about things that annoy us. Perhaps you have complained a bit about some aspect of this technological world. For instance, the confusing air conditioning controls on your car, the tendency of your cell phone to drop calls in some buildings, the way your bike brakes seem to always rub on your wheel, the automatic soap dispenser in the restroom that does not recognize your hand wave. Perhaps you have marveled at some aspects of the world, the machines that can look inside your body for damage, being able to buy a taco for less than a dollar, <laughs> your ability to access almost, almost limitless information at very low cost, the knowledge of where you are at any moment relative to your favorite restaurant, the comfort of your car on a cold, snowy day, the speed at which you can travel to New York City. This world of annoyances and wonders is the cumulative result of design decisions. 
And who makes many of these decisions for you that define this world? Design engineers, along with other design specialists. Of course, the design of all but the simplest of products involve a variety of people from many backgrounds. Complex products, like airplanes, can involve the efforts of thousands of engineers and support staff and require millions of design decisions. Decision-making is at the heart of design and is the engine of the engineering design process that we will see later. Even when we do not know the exact decisions that were made in a product, we can infer them as the results of the decisions are embodied in the design artifacts, the products, systems, and infrastructure that surround us. Let's examine some common products in our world and infer some of the more apparent design decisions that are embedded in them. Maybe this will help you to see how a designer might view the world. I will use more common products around us, but this idea of seeing design decisions could apply to any product or system. As we saw earlier, I have an iPhone. It is amazing and I am completely addicted to it for managing my life. I marvel at the clever design decisions that led to using a touch screen across the face. The decision of using a touch sensitive screen as opposed to buttons is interesting as they would, have, they would then have to manage inadvertent touches by your face or in your pocket. It was surely a bold decision at the time the phone was introduced. The home button at the bottom of the device is not touch sensitive, but rather requires an actual force to be triggered. There must have been considerable discussion about the decision to introduce this large fixed button on the limited real estate of the phone face. Some years ago, we had a senior project sponsored by BD Medical. The objective was to design a hand sanitizer dispenser that was to be mounted on the wall outside every patient's room and monitor if nurses and doctors cleaned their hands on the way in or out. Compliance could then be monitored. I always thought that this would be a popular product with mothers. Among other things, it was challenging to sense when someone was actually entering the room and not just walking by. Knowing the design issues with that device, I have had a fascination with the proliferation of sensor-driven devices in restrooms. Here's a photo of me with a touchless paper towel dispenser. It's a great idea. Software can now control how often a towel can be dispensed. I wonder about the decisions that were made in its design so that it is a valuable piece of equipment that someone like BYU would buy. I note that it is not possible to keep waving your hand in front of the sensor and have towels just pour out. The sensor only works if your hands are below, which is difficult until the current towel is pulled off. See what you can learn about the design decisions of dispensers the next time you are in the restroom. Just be discreet. A couple of years ago, we bought a Volkswagen GTI. This is a truly fine machine that an engineer can appreciate, especially the twin turbochargers and smooth clutch. Good job on those design decisions, all of you German engineers. The lower RPM tuned turbo is perfectly suited to have pseudo-legal fun on the streets of Provo. <laughs> so where were these engineers when they designed the sunroof controls? The engine control is great. Push down the pedal and the car goes faster. However, the sunroof has multiple positions and modes, all controlled by a single knob that is difficult to see. It is much more complex to use than actually driving the car. Who decided that we needed six levels of openness on a sunroof? <laughs> Last week, Stephanie and I were at Costco and somehow we became separated, leaving me to contemplate my technical world. 
Even better, I bumped into a colleague that had been an adjunct professor in our department working with design teams. Now the stage was really set to observe the world. We immediately noted a shipping container, very unique, that was used for bags of potato chips. It had a crossbeam that you can see in this image. We thought the whole thing was a clever way to ship the bags and liked the decision to use the beam, which had a unique cross section and was removable to better access the bags. You can see Robert testing the strength of the beam. He did break it. So embedded in even the most mundane of shipping containers at Costco are an interesting and clever set of design decisions. With these examples, we have just looked at artifacts of design decisions that we interact with directly. For many of these, there are even more decisions embedded in the infrastructure below your interaction level. The systems that deliver power to this room, uh, antennas, central computers, manufacturing systems, and more. New tools, approaches, communication capabilities, and management practices are allowing for many engineered systems to have increasing complexity and integration. Regardless of what you think of the technological world we have now, it is clear that you can expect more of it in the future. This complexity and integration will only increase the impact of engineering design decisions on you. How can we ensure that this impact will be positive or meet the needs of our communities and society? To answer such questions, we need to understand the process that engineers use as a context for making these decisions. Time for the second experience, understanding how engineers practice their design craft. Generally, engineers follow a design process to guide decisions towards achieving an overall design goal, usually to meet specific needs of customers, manufacturers, distributors, and other stakeholders. This process is really just a way to help people to think. Let's look at a simple form of the process that will serve us today. We will later look at some examples of its use. The first role of this process is oriented towards moving from needs to concepts that can potentially meet those needs. We begin by understanding needs related to a specific design objective, like design a paper towel dispenser that can hold and dispense three rolls of paper. A whole set of needs will flow from this objective. The needs come from potential users, custodial staff, distributors, and others. Engineers and other designers then create concepts and subconcepts that can potentially meet those needs. A good design team will develop a wide variety of potential concepts to choose from. In this phase, there is a great opportunity for innovation. Concepts and concept sets are then evaluated to determine which ones should be further pursued and defined. This can be a challenging phase as the concepts are usually not fully developed. I like this phase as it is a chance to use some intuition mixed with some testing. On the second row, the concepts are developed into a more detailed design that starts to look like a drawing or computer model that you are used to seeing. We then create mathematical models based on scientific principles that will predict the performance of the design for specific configurations and use the model to get the very best possible design. Predicting the performance of a design is a key aspect of effective engineering. If possible, we then like to actually create a physical product or parts of the product and test them to see if they perform as we had predicted, and also to see if they really meet the needs of the customers that we started with. Lastly, based on our new experience, we refine the design and repeat parts of the process until we run out of time or money or both. Let's look at a few interesting examples of products that were created right here at BYU in my college. 
using this process. These examples may seem quite complex, but they are an outcome of executing a design process by students that have been studying for a relatively short time. These projects are drawn from among the most popular news stories on the BYU website over the past year. In this first project, a student team was tasked with designing a water well drilling machine that could be effectively used in poor areas of Africa by local people. This project required the students to understand the needs of a community very different from their own. The communities had little access to capital to purchase machines, vehicles to move large equipment, or fuel to operate the equipment. If these needs were not carefully assessed by the student team, then the resulting product would not have value. Alternative solution concepts were developed and evaluated to meet these needs, and a human-powered solution was chosen. This decision then cascaded to many other sub-design problems that were again considered in light of the needs and this decision to use human power. Testing was important for the chosen concepts, as the team had limited ability to predict the performance of drilling with human power. Students spent considerable time determining the power that a group of humans could produce over a long time period. The overall final design has seen good success. As you can see, it disassembles to be hauled in a small pickup and can be fabricated from materials available in the community. In the second project, a team of students was given the overall objective of creating a pill dispensing system that would guard against abuse of prescription drugs, especially painkillers. A challenge here in executing the design process is that there are multiple stakeholders that have needs related to the product. Doctors, pharmacists, caregivers, patients, insurance companies, and more. With this complexity, the team eventually divided the project into sub-projects so as to more easily draw on examples of solution concepts that could be found in other products. For instance, a key sub-problem is to ensure that one and only one pill is dispensed when the dispenser's brain indicates that it's time for a pill to be made available. By looking at this sub-problem, the team was better able to develop innovative concepts by looking at similar dispensing needs in other products. They could also better evaluate the alternative concepts as they could see their performance in these other products. The final overall design is a sturdy dispensing system that can be programmed by the pharmacist to only dispense medication at a predetermined rate. Within our college, we participate in a number of national and international design competitions. The Society of Automotive Engineering sponsors an annual student competition to promote design innovation related to fuel consumption. The high mileage vehicle pictured here received a lot of attention as it achieved a fuel consumption of over 1,300 miles per gallon. In this project, the needs in the process are dictated by a very focused objective of the competition. That is, within certain guidelines, design and build a vehicle that achieves high gas mileage. The latter portion of the design process is especially important in this case. Students spent months predicting performance with models, testing, and then refining the design. This led to refinements in bearing lubrication, drive components, and aerodynamics. Each refinement boosted the mileage just a bit. The resulting vehicle is not exactly comfortable. The driver lies on her back and looks out past her feet. Almost everything we expect in a vehicle was compromised in order to be efficient. At the competition, the BYU team achieved the highest mileage, the result of careful and repeated application of portions of the design process. They developed new ideas and technologies that can be applied to other, more comfortable vehicles. 
This last example focuses on the development of a mechanism to replace damaged discs in a person's spine. Let me give a bit of background in two areas so that you can better understand this example. Area one. Traditionally, surgeons repair damaged discs in your back by removing them and replacing the disc with a spacer that is bolted between the two vertebrae. While this may help the pain associated with the damaged disc, it essentially reduces the amount of bending that the back can go through as the two vertebrae are now locked together. Although there's been some experimentation, a better disc replacement solution has been elusive. Area two. While developing innovative hinges for flip phones, you might remember those, a number of years ago, our lab looked at some toys and pen cases that used flexible straps to allow shapes to roll on each other in controlled ways. This approach to controlling motion allowed precise control and was very compact. When the lab was made aware of the inadequacies of the current disc replacement technique, it brought to mind the work on the compact rolling motion that was possible with the toy-inspired mechanism. Some simple models and experimentation showed that it might be possible to design, design a device thin enough to slip into the space left by removing the disc. With need and idea matched up, the design process was followed with a careful look at technical needs and the ability of this concept to meet those needs. When the team was comfortable that it could possibly meet those needs, the process moved to detailed design, modeling, and testing. A prototype that proposed disc replacement mechanism made of plastic here so as to be more easily viewed can be seen in the photo. This mechanism closely reproduces the movement behavior of a healthy disc and does not require that the vertebrae be bolted together. The design path followed here is a bit different from our base process as the idea became, came before the need. But once the idea was matched with a potential need, the development process proceeded, resulting in the design of a disc replacement device that allows the recipient to retain motion between the vertebrae. So now we have seen the process that a design engineer might use to drive decision-making. Let's now peer into the mind of a design engineer and see how they might think within that process. Design engineers are just people that understand how to appropriately execute the type of process that we just looked at. Let's peer into the mind of Ezekiel, right into his head, a bright student in our design research lab, and see what might be going on in there. As he sees inspiration in the world, he uses a number of ways of thinking to move through the design process and make design decisions. Later in the presentation, we will see more of this particular sequence of using things around us, like origami, as fodder for bringing innovation into our thinking. Let's look at a few interesting ways of thinking that Ezekiel might be using as he creates new mechanisms for space applications. First is abstraction. This is the ability to see or find the essence of function or behavior in a device or system. It can be used to extract ideas from products, nature or art, and then apply those ideas in other contexts. I will give an example of this later. Second is decomposition. Designers look at how to decompose problems, designs and systems into smaller chunks that can be more easily dealt with. We all do this as we approach a big project or tackle a large assignment. In design, how a problem is decomposed has a big effect on the nature of the solution. Third is modeling. Engineers love to model. Leave us in a room with a whiteboard and we will create a model. 
Designers are constantly thinking about how to use qualitative and quantitative models to predict the performance of their design ideas. These models are most often based on scientific principles or testing. Fourth is considering trade-offs in the design. We all make trade-offs in our lives. If a student has 14 hours before a test, he has to make a trade-off between sleeping and studying. Less sleeping means more time to study, but too little sleep will mean that he is not alert. Trade-offs are everywhere in design. Cars are a good example. I can have a car that is capable of high acceleration, but that likely means lower gas mileage. A large car holds all of my children, but is difficult to park. Fifth is optimizing aspects of the design. This generally involves balancing the trade-offs in ways that best meet my needs. For instance, our student with 14 hours may develop a sleep-study effectiveness model. Hopefully this does not take too much of his 14 hours. And use optimization to find that he should study nine hours and sleep five. In our car, we may use modeling and optimization to find the turbocharger settings that best satisfy my simultaneous desires for speed and good fuel economy. Lastly, let's look at innovation. Being adept at this principle of design thinking is what often creates a great designer. In the context of design, innovation often means that we find a way to get around a trade-off and get more of the behaviors that we wanted. It can also mean that we apply previously unconsidered concept solutions to meet needs of a current design. We do not have time today to provide lots of design principles and design thinking examples, but let's take a closer look at just one of them, being innovative. Let's peek at a few interesting ways that we are fostering mechanism innovation using origami in our design research lab. This will lead us back to Ezekiel that we saw previously. Many of us associate origami with paper cranes or some simple folded shape. However, practitioners of origami have produced a rich set of models that include origami that moves, such as the Venus flytrap model shown in this image. Note how the origami model transfers, transforms from a flat folded state to one where there is complex motion. That is, the trap opens and closes by pulling on the tabs. Essentially, there is a complex mechanism kind of hidden inside of the origami. Here is our chance to tease out mechanism concepts and apply them as innovative solutions to meet particular needs. This slide shows an example of the steps that we are taking to find innovative solutions in origami. We first looked at hundreds of existing origami models that have motion. In this case, we have chosen one of these models called a chomper. Second, we use abstraction thinking to extract the basic mechanism that allows the origami to move in a certain way. From the extraction, we now have a mechanism that we may never have thought of on our own, and it can be made from simply bending a flat sheet of material. At this point, we sense that with these extracted mechanisms, we can identify concepts that point to new trade-offs, such as allowing complex motion with low cost. We then model the behavior of the extracted mechanism and adapt the design to use other materials. With this process, we can create the design for an innovative gripper mechanism, for example, for potential use in surgical applications. This device can be made entirely from folded materials. With no pin joints to hide blood, these are easy to clean. Since they are simple to fabricate, they may be cheap enough to be disposable. Let's summarize. Appreciate, we have learned that a lot of our world has been 
designed, hopefully, by people that understand our needs and share our values. Understand, we have learned that engineers follow a design process in practicing their craft, and that this process can be understood and even influenced by non-engineers. Peer, we have peered into a designer's head and seen that engineers use particular ways of thinking to make design decisions within this process. These ways of thinking have analogs in areas besides engineering design and can be applied in other settings. Armed with this knowledge, let's now move to influencing our world and life. In the future, I see more and faster product development and increasing integration of the systems that affect our lives. There will be further globalization of products and engineering designers. I hope that there will be more pervasive design objectives focused on sustainability and social issues. Understanding the process, including inputs, objectives, and drivers, can benefit you individually as you deal with the world, and us as designers as we envision the world. The technological world of tomorrow is going to be an amazing place. As disciples of Christ and builders of the kingdom, we should be some of the leaders that guide and shape this world. BYU should be a place that produces the ethical and moral engineering designers that we need in the future. Our graduates should be leaders in using engineering and design to benefit mankind. Additionally, we would benefit as a society if a broader range of people were knowledgeable about and involved in the design process. For example, we need more women to be involved. They bring a perspective and way of thinking that can influence design decisions towards greater benefit to us all. Since we are all designers together for our 30 minutes, Let's look at the one thing that all of us are designing, our lives. I feel that the gospel principle of agency implies a responsibility to design our lives. While we often use the term agency as part of a discussion of being free to choose between good and evil, it is really much more than that. Most of our decisions are not about abstractly choosing between good and evil, but of making the decisions that guide and direct our lives. We might call it designing our lives. Let's look at a couple of scriptures for guidance. From Moses, chapter 7, verse 32, we read, The Lord said unto Enoch, Behold these thy brethren, they are the workmanship of mine own hands, and I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them, and in the garden of Eden gave I unto man his agency. And in Helaman, chapter 14, verse 30, we see a similar theme. For behold, ye are free, ye are permitted to act for yourselves. For behold, God hath given you a knowledge, and he hath made you free. So God has given us agency or freedom and also knowledge. This seems like a big responsibility and a great opportunity for design. I've been drawn to a statement by Joseph Smith that seems to parallel with our first simple design process. He said, happiness is the object and design of our existence. Perhaps the principles and process of design can help us plan and direct our own lives with the objective of happiness for us and others. So let's look at a modified design process that we can apply to our own lives. First, set out your design objective. What is it that you want to achieve? Do you have any specific needs or wants? Second, consider alternative ways that these objectives or needs might be met. There is often more than one way to achieve a righteous, productive, and happy life. Then, seek inspiration, looking for innovation. Are there other approaches that have not been considered? 
Can you borrow an approach from another situation? Is there a way to get around some of the trade-offs that you had not anticipated? Next, with the Lord's help, select the best approaches and implement your design. This may require some of that designer thinking, like decomposition or modeling. If your life is like mine, you will not hit the best design right off. Plus, my constraints and needs are always shifting a bit. So evaluate the, the effectiveness of the design regularly and make refinements. Remember that you have been given agency to design. I'd like to end this forum today with a personal testimony of the power of inspiration to guide our decisions, no matter what the setting, and the willingness of a loving Heavenly Father to allow us to design our world and our lives. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Mountain, 1 Eastern, for an hour of inspiration and recentering. Today we heard Designing Your World by Dr. Spencer Magleby. Find a link to the full text, audio, and video of this address at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.